It's been so long, I forgot how to use these mics, you feel me? Everything done changed. City Hope Fellowship, God is good. And all the time. Hey, what's good, everybody? Give me a shout right quick if you woke up this morning. I'm talking about if you woke up this morning, give me a shout, you feel me? If you woke up, God is good, shout. Woo, yeah, that's how y'all say, all right, all right, it's cool, that's cool, all right, so look, 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 I'm excited to be in the house of God today, particularly because it's been a minute, right, and this past month for me personally has been a whirlwind, like you said, I was on staff previously, uh, but my time of Munchie reached a, a, a conclusion, unfortunately, you feel me, and I recently relocated back to Naptown 317, if y'all know what time it is, you feel me. Nap time, yeah, you know what time it is. So it's been this whirlwind of activities, right? Uh, I, I've been trying to wrap up wedding planning with my lovely fiance. If you're watching, I love you, baby, you feel me? Uh, she couldn't make it today, but I thank you for the work you're putting in. I appreciate you. Uh, also, I got a new job, right? Hey, hey, we making money, you feel me? We not broke out here. You know what I'm saying? I got a job at a warehouse, you feel me? Picking, picking clothes, but it's hot in a mug. It's 10-hour days, you feel me? So it's like, whoo, that thing crazy. On top of that, we had a two-month journey struggling to find a place to live, right? So you can have, you can have the money, but if you don't have a place to live, that also going to be difficult, right? So it's, it's been a season of moving. Um, we literally just found an apartment probably about two weeks or so ago. Praise God, right? Amen. Got, so I got, got some money to eat. Got a roof over my head, you feel me? I feel, you know what I'm saying? I'm thankful. So that's why I'm hype, you know what I'm saying? And we just kind of starting to finish the process of moving stuff up into this place. I'm currently moved in, but not fully settled yet. She's staying with her parents. And she graduated, right? Somebody get her cap for that, bitch. Hey, hey, that's a lot. For everybody to graduate, everybody in the school grind, man. Hey, it's a light at the end of the tunnel, trust me. May not seem, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so, yeah, it's just been a bunch of stress, you feel me? A bunch of stress, a bunch of transition, a bunch of moving. And, uh, and she's actually still searching for a job. Uh, she got some promising prospects, but still sort of on this search in this season and like searching and hungry for what is the next move, right? What is the next best move, right? And uh, all that to say, it's my understanding you guys have been in Ephesians, right? Everybody been in Ephesians, y'all remember? So I just want to take a quick little detour. You feel me? We're going to come back. We're going to come back eventually. Let's take a quick little detour um, to, to encourage you from one of the stars of the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, you might know him. He goes by the name Jesus. So I know that Yeshua Hamashiach. And in my experience with City Hope, I've been blessed to be a part of uh, some of you moving to different spots in the city, right? Some people have moved in and out. I think about the stress and the process of moving. And there's one thing each experience of moving has in common after the end of a long one. And it's somewhat an un- unspoken expectation, right? Unspoken rule that what are we going to eat? You feel me? What are we going to eat? You usually realize how hungry you are after you've been moving. It works up their appetite carrying all this big furniture. Right. And then figuring out how did this furniture get in here in the first place when you're moving stuff out? Like the question is, what will you eat and what will your new patterns of eating be 
in that place that you're moving into. Right. So in the text today, I want us to connect and see the humanity of Jesus as he moved into a period of transition and experienced hunger, just like we do. And by the end of this message, you will know what to do when you are hungry. All right. So we're going to we're going to start in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. I'm usually used to looking over here, but y'all have switched up on me. All right. So we and then I got to adjust. Like I say I just uh, looking over here. 313 through 17. If you have your Bibles, please open them. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, this is a really amazing and dope picture, right? Where Jesus pulls up, he's on the outskirts, which is where Galilee would be, where growth is happening with John baptizing people, right? People were a thriving ministry in time of change and shifting is happening here. But then Jesus also in this has a mountaintop experience, right? This mountaintop experience where we see a blinding glimpse of unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one, right? It's crazy. And a complete affirmation of Jesus' identity as beloved and well-pleased. Crazy, right? It's like, it's like literally those moments, you know, when it feels like maybe the stars have a line and you feel like you, you understand purpose and you're grasping, you're seeing like this is, this feels like it's where it, we're supposed to be. So this is kind of where Jesus is at. And it's, it's not a shot of a doubt what he's supposed to be doing. But Josh mentioned this a bit last week. It, it's similar to athletes, right, in the Olympics. Anybody been watching the Olympics? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Anybody got some favorite events? Just oh, track, and field. track and field? Okay. Track and field. Dang, I, I, haven't, I haven't been peeped as much, but I'm, I'm trying to track and field now because you said something to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, and, and so these athletes, they work their whole lives for the goal, right? And then after they gain it, they don't, they, they don't even really know what to say. So they just overwhelm. They work their whole lives for, this, for these moments. And this indescribable feeling beyond words for most. And this is kind of the spot where Jesus is at. We can understand, like, literally, he spent the majority of his 30 or so years on earth at this time before this moment for complete affirmation, right? I mean, I don't think we would thought about that. The time spent being a carpenter, when you realize you feel like you called to something greater for that long, and then have experience like this? That's pretty crazy. But what does the text read next? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by 
the devil. Hold on now. Hold on. That alone should give us pause to say, what? Now, Jesus, first off, he was led up. It says that this is up. And, of course, maybe referring geographically, but also you think about it. Then it says by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, I don't know about y'all, but like sometimes when I think about having an experience like that, the last thing I'm thinking about is moving into the wilderness. Right. Amen. But how is it that God's spirit is actually leading Jesus up into the wilderness after this? And this is the first point in our text for us to know what to eat. Right. To know what to eat. First, we got to know the place, right? Know, somebody say, know the place. Know the place. Often as people and believers in society, we, we kind of minimize the wilderness, right? Or not expect it, but the wilderness in Jewish tradition actually marked a beginning of new beginnings with God. You feel me? It wasn't necessarily viewed as something entirely negative. It actually had a positive connotation to it. And though there would be hardship, it makes sense that this, this wilderness would have certain challenges to it. And this is in stark contrast, right, to this river mountaintop experience Jesus just had. This place of abundance, a place of thriving, of things popping off, him feeling like this is where he's supposed to be, then he gets taken to the wilderness. Like this is literally what, what that, that aspect of moving can feel like when you're in a spot of transition. It feels like oh, it's uncomfortable, right? It's, it's, it, it brings out a hunger in you. You feel me? And now he went from abundance, community, and affirmation to isolation, lack, and scarcity. And then also comes the problem of evil that we so often wrestle with. It says that, what does it say? The, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted. Now, the, the better translation for the word tempted here is actually test, right? This period would be a period of testing his previous relationship that was just so strongly affirmed. And we are going to see by, by this test what, what actually the, the, the implications of that relationship is. But it's that problem of evil. We often attribute wilderness to personal failings or just random happenstance, stuff like that. But actually, um, it, it's not dis- God is not disconnected from suffering that happens in life, right? Theologians would probably refer to this idea as God's sovereignty, right? No matter what's happening in the world, no matter what's going on, when it seems hopeless, God is sovereign, right? He, he's still in control, even when it seems like things aren't really matching up in the wilderness. But for us, it's kind of like wilderness to us. We kind of forget to know the place and say, it's not really that bad. So we kind of in denial at times. And we might tell people like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? I, I know Josh loved, Josh not good, but he loved his meme where it's like this dog in, in, in a house and it's on fire. And he's like, it's okay. Everything's fine. You know what I'm saying? But it's clearly burning up. But that's often where we, where we find ourselves, right? We, we think like, oh, everything, it, it's okay. It's, it's burning up. But 
the, the people in our lives know when it's summertime, it's hot out. When it's wintertime, it's cold. You feel me? When it's springtime, you know what I'm saying, leaves falling off, my allergies flaring up, I'm a zombie. But sometimes we try to minimize the wilderness because we think it's more holy in some ways or more righteous to do so. But is that what Jesus really did? Right? And do we attribute that maybe this is the spirits working that's taking us into the wilderness when it happens? I mean, just look at the pandemic in this past year. Even now, growing concerns with the Delta variant, right? It, it, it was dangerous to act like we weren't in an unknown place that would require major adjustments in a different lifestyle. If we would have acted like we were still in the river going out, you know what I'm saying? Some people did. Some people hit beaches in Florida, you feel me? I ain't judging if you did that, you feel me? But uh, it looks unnecessarily foolish to not recognize the place that you are in. So we got to know the place of the wilderness is not the river. It's harsher. It's isolating. It feels really lonely. But we can actually attribute God and his spirit as the one taking us to the wilderness rather than acting as if everything is disconnected and that God is not involved or doesn't see us when we are in the wilderness. Because then we end up angry at God as if there wasn't a plan for this. Anybody been angry at God before? Am I alone in the house today? I'm the only one been just fuming, you feel me? Uh, but no, as we continue in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, what does it say? And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Somebody say hungry. Say Jesus was hungry. All right, so sometimes, look, we just got to admit that we hungry, right? Sometimes, look, hey, if you're watching this, love, look. I, I had a conflict the, the other day, you know what I'm saying? And I just had to legit just next day be like, look, never mind I was hungry. Sometimes you're hungry, you know you're tweaking. You just need to stop, you feel me? And apologize. So sometimes, like, just we can recognize and admit we're hungry in a vulnerable state. Right? Rather than making excuses for it, we got to know the place we are in will bring about hunger and recognize we have to make Adjustments, and that's about knowing the plate. Point number two is that is that on uh, my guy Hunter? Shout out to Hunter on the ones. Yep, yep. Know the plate. You feel me? You gotta know the plate, and this will require you. Once you know the place, you gotta know the plate. The portion size might have to get a little bit smaller. You feel me? You're not gonna be eating like you was out in the river. You dig? You're going to have to make some changes. What does the word say? Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, right? But that's an active thing that you have to do, especially when your mind's flooded by ideas of the world. It's active tense to not be conformed to habits and patterns, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and it's just something that's uh, difficult because I think about a book I, I've read uh, recently called The Power of Habit by Charles Dewey. Um, and he mentioned that an important part of changing addicting habits is having new rewards within that, new reward systems that have similar cues. And so he's talking about in this, 
Alcoholics Anonymous means they found that those who struggled with alcohol still needed similar rewards. They still needed similar cues that they got from bars where this sense of community and belonging and openness that was strongly associated with having drinks. You feel me? And providing a space of belonging to where people could be real and honest. You know what I mean? And because most people only got that at bars, it, it was necessary to change those habits with something new, right? So when we think about being renewed, being renewed, be fasting, take, taking time away from the things of this world, it's not only taking time away from those things, but replacing them with something else, right? Because you're still going to be hungry, but where are you going to go to to satisfy that hunger instead? And Jesus fasting, he... He recognized he was hungry, right? Like I said, Jesus was hungry. He didn't deny that fact. But he did something a little bit different with it. And because of the place he was in, we can't eat the same in every season. Amen? Some wilderness may require financial restraint, right? Maybe you was... You was having red lobster, you know what I'm saying? You was eating good on date nights. You was eating good with the with 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 your friends, and now you're looking at the budget. It's not really in the wallet no more like that. You might be in the wilderness. You might you might have to uh not spend as much time with your family or friends. It might be uncomfortable. Maybe you won't be able to have as much leisure or entertainment time. Or maybe we have to work extra harder on patience. Maybe gentleness or, or our thoughts because the wilderness is a place without much growth around you, right? So even as you're fasting and doing these things, imagine the scene, you look around like Jesus did, and it's, it's stones everywhere. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's hot, it's air, it's, it's dry. It feels like even though you're doing, you're trying your hardest, there's no growth around you. Nothing about the situations are changing. Is this really a place where you can be faithful at? And that is when you are your most vulnerable, right? When you're hungry, that hunger is still there and growing. And see, the river will bless you, but the wilderness will test you. The river will bless you, but the wilderness will test you. And this is a prime spot of weakness in our text where it says Jesus was hungry because that's when the devil comes in to test his relationship with God. See, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, he comes to speak directly to his hunger. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become Loaves of bread. How many know the devil will say, if you're really a child of God, how come he won't feed you like you want? I know he sees you out here fasting and fighting hard and trying to make changes, but how come he won't give you the one thing that you want? Maybe marriage. Maybe a better job position. Maybe fix your money. How come he won't do that for you? 
Would God allow his child to go hungry? If God loves you, will he deny you of money, success, and security? If God loves you, why would he deny you of what you're hungry for? And this is really the last spot that is crucial to become what you eat. Number three, know the praise. Know the praise. Somebody say, know the praise. praise. Right, so we got know the place. Know the plate. Y'all good. And last one, know the praise. Keep how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? See, there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect actually, in in the text here, because how many know that in the ancient Near East culture, this society is agricultural-based, right? So they're they're more so used to bread being the the most common source of nourishment. They ain't go down the store to the Aldi's or the Payless, you feel me? They they was making their bread off the cut, you feel me? Some of their bread was actually what they used for plates and other, you know what I'm saying, utensils and tools. So, in fact, most people in this time really only had about two meals each day instead of three. They ain't pull up the BK. They ain't had no two for four. They ain't had no four for four winnings. They ain't had nothing. So bread was their main source of nourishment. The first thing in the morning, usually the quickest too, you didn't have to do that much preparation for the bread. And then depending on your wealth, you might have had some meat, Fish was a little bit more common, but it, it wasn't like it was an abundance of food that they went to. It's like bread, and then guess what? What's it there, honey? Bread, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, bread. That's why you can say the thing like, give us this day our daily bread, because that was the most common symbol that people looked to for nourishment and had to continually go to, right? But notice that the text says, not bread alone, right? It, it doesn't say that there's anything inherently wrong with bread, you dig? But you cannot live by it, amen? What have you been trying to live by every day? When you wake up, what do you need to satisfy your hunger? Is it social media? Is it affirmation in your work? from your friends, your relationship, your job? Which, what are you really trying to live by alone instead of every word from the mouth of God? Right? Bread molds. Anybody seen molded bread before? Not a good sight. I don't recommend eating it either. Unless you're in the struggle, hey, look, I ain't judging. Just take that thing off, take, scrape the mold off, toss it. But... Bread molds. Bodies fade, jobs change, people fail us, right? Stock markets crash, but the word of God stands forever. And see, sometimes we get in this predicament of the wilderness and kind of think we're the only one who's ever been there before, right? 
And this is why it's important to know the Bible for yourself and store it up. Like the prophet Jeremiah says in 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. When the last time you woke up and you couldn't get through your day without hearing from God. And then the psalmist says in 119, I I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Like sometimes we're hungry and we we go to sources that won't truly satisfy us. And we go to other versions of bread that Jesus even warns us about. See, later in Matthew 16, there are there are actually two groups that want to know which side Jesus is on when he talks about this stuff like bread. And these people called, somebody say, the Pharisees. And then this side say Sadducees. 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 Both groups, they, they, they had their flaws. They sad to see. But this also, some good, some decent things about them, right? Sometimes we forget that the Jewish people in this time, they'd be similar to the black experience in America. They were under oppression from the Roman ruling regime. And the Pharisees are a group that is seeking to preserve the culture, to preserve the heritage of their ethnicity and their Jewishness so that they develop schools and lean heavily on the Torah and, and try to remember and take God and his word very seriously as a connection to the place that they come from. And yet they very seriously miss God's heart because they add on their own oral laws and traditions and extra burdens in their pursuit of trying to keep the people remembered and keep the people alive to the point to where the people are crushed under the burden, the very people they want to protect. But then you also have the Sadducees who are more intent on, say, integrating into the culture. So they reject some of these oral laws that the Pharisees are putting on. They reject certain things that that they feel like won't allow them to better be culturally relevant. You know what I mean? But they also begin to reject some things from the word about the afterlife. So they take issue with Jesus as well. And so in Matthew 16, they had just demanded a sign, basically saying, all right, Jesus, what size you want? Show us, show us where you would land on, on, on our tribes. What, what camp would you be in? But Jesus always jukes them when they try to put him in a box and say, this is who you are. He's not going to get jumped into any gang or claim any allegiance. In Matthew 16, what does it do? He warns his disciples. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's basically in bread. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Oh, shoot. So they're thinking, oh, Jesus trying to get on them for not bringing food to eat. But no. Look, Jesus, as you were aware, they said, man, y'all trip. Look, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Like, stop looking at, it's not just, it's, it's bigger. You know what I mean? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000, a miracle Jesus just performed? How many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Was it Pharisees and Sadducees? There you go. I like, I like to hear it. You know what I'm saying? Y'all sound like some scholars. But see, we have to watch out for the teachings of our day because some leaders, though maybe originally well-intentioned, will seek to burden you beyond the freedom of the words of God that he's called you to. And they might have tried to place you and add on to the bread that you truly need. Later on, these are the same groups the Pharisees and the Sadducees that plot to kill Jesus. Because in John eleven forty seven through 54, they're afraid to lose the power of the bread that they currently are relying on. So uh, 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, right? Not the signs that they want, but the signs that, that need to be shown. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans, right? The Romans, not Rome, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They're afraid of losing their spot. Even though they're under oppression, even though this isn't the best place, they still want to maintain a sense of comfort and a sense of safety. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only. Get this, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's bars. The children of God scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Right. And then Jesus, no, he no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near, oh, well, back to the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. So Jesus showed he wasn't going to satisfy people's hunger, right, for what they wanted. He wasn't trying to pick anybody's side down here. And they didn't want to lose their place in the nation and the power they had worked to gain under the oppression. And so they began to petition wicked and corrupt rulers like Pilate to the point Jesus was killed and they released a criminal instead of Jesus, right? And sadly, we've seen history repeat itself with some of the church in America. There's been a different experience with believers, of course. We haven't necessarily been under the same oppression that these Jews were under in this Roman regime, but Christians have uh, observed a higher level of privilege in the land of America to a degree historically, right? But Christian beliefs today on money, wealth, sex, sexuality, and gender are not only outdated and unpopular with culture, but in most cases are considered offensive. So in a lot of ways, in pursuit for 
preservation and, and religious freedom, in the name of religious freedom, we've aligned ourselves with questionable leaders like, say, a Donald Trump and platform these people as God's candidates as if they're godly and holy for the sake of maintaining a place in this nation. But how many know the truth in verse 52 is still applicable today that Jesus did not die for the nation only, amen? And no leader, not not Joe Biden now, certainly not, or any president in the past or future will ever be the one to usher in God's holy reign and rule. But so often we would like to claim power as marks of God's presence politically. But this is where Jesus differs, and that the hunger and bread he proclaims would require suffering. It would require wilderness experiences. And instead, the bread we must satisfy our hunger with requires us, right, Knowing the praise, say, know the praise of those who came before. But you got to know the praise the way Jesus did, actually. With this quote, we're going to bring a full circle here. It's going to be exciting, okay? It's exciting, you dig? Because full circle in the Old Testament, we love Old Testament fulfillments. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 through 9. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Ooh, that's a blessing. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Right? For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, that bread, right? Of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. Somebody say honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Can you dig it? This is the quote Jesus uses right here because he's paralleling this experience as the fulfillment of Israel with those who, who maybe not make it through. Some of y'all may be kind of where, where these cats were at, right? Feeling like you've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Maybe you failed some of the tests, right? Like, hey, this cool for Jesus that, hey, he did his thing. He said, yeah, he was, he was stupid hungry. He said, I'm, I don't want to live by bread alone. Look, me, if it was me, I'd be like, hey, look, I kind of want some bread right now. May I should take this stone, turn it right quick. Just, Hey, guy ain't got to know, you feel So I feel like for, for us, it's kind of like, that's cool for Jesus, but what about me when I fail my test back to back? Everybody did them uh, standardized tests back in school, ACT, SAT. I hated those things, man. And when you feel like you, you're wandering in the desert aimlessly, 
maybe a 40 years type. It may feel like 40 years failing every test. Today, I want you to know it's a person who passed it in 40 days for you. You may have fallen again and again to temptation. Right? You may feel isolated and have tried to satisfy your hunger in other ways like greed. Maybe pornography. Maybe sex, money, substance abuse, addiction. Maybe you're trying to please people or prove yourself with your work or prove your worth. But you realize these things have not gotten you to a place of peace and promise. Get this, and you probably, you probably miss it in the text as we were going through it. If you weren't familiar with Jewish scripture and tradition that this writer Matthew was highlighting, but the Jordan River was actually the place that the Jews crossed over to get into the promised land. Look at, look at this, Joshua 3, 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. Now, Hoxima, we love you, though. The city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. That's crazy. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. You know, Jesus was declaring, you've been trying to, get, trying to get to a place of promise, right? You've been trying to get to a place of peace and belonging and affirmation through these other sources. But he said, I am the only living water that will allow you to cross into the promised land. And I am the greater ark of the covenant between God. In fact, Colossians chapter 115 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So instead of God's presence being marked and dwelling in a box to carry like the Ark of the Covenant where the law was in, Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it, being baptized in that same river, right? God's presence descends fully as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mark a new covenant saying, This is my son whom I am well pleased for the people. And that's much farther and wider and deeper than the covenant has ever been before. And this covenant is so much more powerful and immense that when you believe in Jesus, this life is applied to yours. When you believe in the person, work, and name of Jesus, this test was your test. His blessing was your blessing. So in Matthew 3.17, now reads Matthew 3.17, Behold, a voice from heaven, like the waters open up. Now the heavens open up, right? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When you believe in Jesus, this is my beloved Rome with whom I am well pleased. 
Who can bring a charge against God's elect? This is my beloved cat with who I am well pleased. This is my beloved Whitney with who I am well pleased. This is my beloved Adam with who I am well pleased. Praise God for Jesus, right? Hallelujah. Amen. If you know what Jesus did right there, that's crazy. Somebody shot amen this morning. And when we hunger for the things of the world, what does the scripture say? This is what? This is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Remember this life was broken for you. Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Jesus is a bread of life that satisfies for you. You don't have to run to other sources. You will over time. But this is why we continually have to feast on Jesus, because Netflix won't satisfy you. Trust me, I've been to a lot of shows. Sex won't satisfy their hunger. Career won't satisfy their hunger. Ministry won't satisfy it. We never move past the source and rely on our own works for satisfaction for that hunger. But we have to return back to this power that is only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection by which we will be satisfied of our hunger. And it's not on bread alone. These are all good things, but it's not on bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord of all the earth. Nothing on this earth will satisfy your heart. But you can trust in Jesus today to satisfy your hunger. Let's pray. God, we just ask. We just ask that your. Your spirit will continue to speak to the hunger in this room of people. Whether they know you or not, whether they're seeking out, whether they've been fasting and feel like they've been in the wilderness for a minute, God, I ask that you would give you would give a new sense of peace to trust in the only source the only bread that will satisfy every word from you. And as we struggle, realizing that we can't cross into the, the place of promise that you have for us through these sources, but we just run directly to you, God. And stop trying to feed from these other, these other sources of bread. Would you keep us from the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, God? Would you allow us to see that you are the only one that can satisfy the deep hunger that we have? Would you bless the time of communion so that those in your presence, in your family, can remember that your body was broken for them? And can you convince those who may not be in the family yet that this promise is available today? As long as it's called today, now is the time for salvation. It can come through. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and respond again through music.